What is up, everybody out there listening to us in podcast land? This is Tyler. This is Danny. And we're the Fried Squirms. We're here to get stoned and talk about horror movies. This week will be Suicide Club, if you haven't already read the title of the episode. You know what? Some people let it flow from one episode into the next. You might not know what was coming. Suicide Circle is what's coming. That's the first warning. We normally do our warnings like seven, eight minutes after this. True. You know, 10, 15 minutes, depending on how much we have to talk about, <laughs> right? That's the first warning. This movie is entitled Suicide Circle. Right. Or Club. Or both. But True story. But before we get there, we have to get to our green hits, because this is about getting stoned and talking about horror movies. Danny, what is this, Jay, that you've handed me today? Nice. So, no surprise, once again, stop by our lovely folks over at Flower Inn picked up the strain Euphoria, which is a strain I've picked up before, but for those who... premiere on HBO? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) I think so. But, like I said, for those who are curious or want to know, this is a sativa-dominant hybrid. The uh, split on this is like 80% sativa, 20% indica, it is created as a descendant of the classic skunk family. Although the um, exact genetics are unknown, it is a award-winning stunner as it took first place at the High Life Cup in 2002 and second place at the High Times Cannabis Cup in 2000. So with that being said, some of the numbers over at Flower, the total cannabinoids are 26.68% with the total terpenes coming in. Let's see. Terpenes are about 1.7%. So the most... Dominant terpene profiles on this are the limonene. You also are experiencing some of the myrcene, linalool, karyophyllene, and humulene effects, hence why it's a hybrid. So with that being said, the flavors on this, you'll get some of those piney and skunky notes, sweet and tropical flavors, along with earthy, herbal, and pungent aromas. Hell yeah. Well, I also went to flower. Big surprise. (laughs) since that's like 90% of where we get our fucking weed for the show. Yeah, that's true. But this time I grabbed you some fatso. Ooh, nice. I don't think I'd ever seen them have fatso. I picked it up. It's been months ago. I don't know if I've ever seen them have it in Jay's before though. I think I've seen them have the flower, but that was a while ago. Yeah. I picked up a six pack. Like I said, it'd been probably around the the holidays. I'm guessing. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. It's a cross of GMO cookies and Legend OG. It is definitely far more indica-leaning, known for being a higher THC strain. This one, it's about 28%, which not the highest we've ever seen. A little bit high for flour. It does have a higher terpene percent than what we usually see from flour. The terpenes total is like 3.5%. Wow, that is a lot, yeah. With the most dominant being uh, myrcene, limonene, and karyophyllene. Gotcha. Then pinene. <laughs> anyway, it, yeah, I've been smoking it all weekend, and this shit is some, um, if you're not paying attention, it's going to knock your ass in the grass, so. Hey, that's okay. Which is awesome sometimes, because like. You get to just chill out to it and be like, oh, cool, now I'm stoned. I highly recommend, actually. I'm probably going to try to get some fatso again because I found it to be a great after-work smoke where I don't have to do shit except relax for the rest of the day. But you're going to get a little bit more of a like a diesel fuel taste from it in general. And that's fatso. 
Anyway, we also want to remind all of you great listeners out there to go check out the Patreon. Patreon.com slash fried squirms at the very lowest level for a dollar a month. A dollar? A dollar. I'd buy that for a dollar. You could have listened to this last week. You sign up for the Patreon, you get episodes a week early. You go to that middle level, you get the special episodes. We reference this shit all the time now because we've been having a fucking blast going back and talking about these again. I hope it translates in the actual episodes. I'm not going to lie. I haven't listened to them. <laughs> you, you're the one that edits them, though. Has it been translating that we're excited about these? Yeah, no, it's it's fun going back, listening to films we talked about at this point six, seven years ago, and then hearing them once again and seeing them once again with fresh eyes. It's fun. It's a unique experience. And at the top level, you get access to that Discord. You could be chatting with us right now. I mean, we're uh, recording right now, so it might be a, a couple minutes in between our replies. But, you know, we'd let you know. We'd be like, yo, what's up, peeps? We're going to go live. And by live, I mean we're going to record <laughs> soon. So you guys hit us up with those questions yeah, or exactly. comments or, you know, just call us idiots because that happens too. Hey, we're stoners. I get it. Man, I said so. I'm going to talk about uh, listeners real quick for a second here because <laughs> it's weird. It wasn't a listener of this podcast. Well, kind of. One of them was a listener of this podcast. One was a listener of a different podcast that I do. In Phantom of the Paradise and over on General Nerdery, when I was talking about my favorite things from the year, when I bring up Phantom of the Paradise, I mentioned not really liking Rocky Horror all that much. Right. I've been called out by two of these motherfuckers that listen to us already this week. That's funny. Granted, they are my friends. Hi, out there listening. You know who you are. Especially you, Jesse. Anyway, but I just thought it was fucking hilarious because I'm like, I knew I was going to get shit for saying I didn't like Rocky Horror, especially in this town. Yeah, that's so be it. But you could give us that shit immediately. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what are you guys talking about? You guys could give us that sort of shit. You guys could give us all sorts of questions and comments. Hit up the Discord, patreon.com slash fried squirms. Sign up for that shit. I swear at some point we'll try to be more active doing shit this year. Yeah, we got a whole year ahead of us. <laughs> it's exciting. I think that's what I got for now, right? Yep. Patreon. That means it's just time for us to get into the guts and bolts of Suicide Club. Guts and bolts. All right, guts and bolts. Who and what went in the making of this flick? Spoiler-free. Start off with our spoiler-free setup for this movie in case you don't know what you're getting into. A rash of mass suicides have started happening across Japan. Is it even across Japan or is it across, like, Tokyo? Tokyo, more specifically, maybe Japan? Maybe? Maybe, but why? That's the setup. That's it, right? Like, I I don't think I'm getting... Why? Uh, The police are investigating. Cool. <laughs> I it's, like it. It's like the happening, except no natural disasters. Exactly. Well, you know, we'll get into all the juicy bits here in a few, but... Also, no Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, surprisingly. <laughs> <laughs> what? what? No. <laughs> nice. So, from week to week, we do like to talk about the cast and crew. And this week, the gentleman we've actually talked about before, not because of his directorial credits, but because he's also an actor, but that... 
gentleman is Xion Sono, and the film we actually talked about him was back on episode 159. He was in Tokyo Gore Police. Now, I remember him being in Tokyo Gore right, Police. Right, and that's what, what I was looking up. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, ah, it doesn't show me. <laughs> I remember, yeah, because I remember we brought him up because of who he is. I don't remember what the fuck he did in Tokyo Gore Police. He may have been in that, like, fetish club scene. That would maybe. 100% make sense. If I was going to throw him into a scene in that movie, yeah, it would be in the fetish club. I would think so, but don't hold me to it. All right, so a few of his film credits, as far as his directorial credits, include Noriko's Dinner Table, which is a sequel. Um, so, spoiler. See, isn't it a prequel? Prequel and, and sequel, sequel. And interquel? Yes. So, it's somewhere in between all of that, yeah. All right, he's also known for Strange Circus. I'm probably going to mispronounce this word, but it's uh, X-T-E, maybe? It's E-X-T-E, and mm. it's called Hair Extensions. There's also a film called Love Exposure, a film I actually own. It's called Cold Fish, highly recommended. There's another film called Why Don't You Play in Hell. I'm kind of curious about that. The film Tag, Anti-Porno, and a film, actually, we went and seen at the Annex. Yeah. Prisoners of the Ghostland. All right, he's also the writer on this film. We have cinematographer Kazuto Sato. They're known for Black Angel Volumes 1 and 2, the film Monday, and the film Flower and Snake. Editor Masahiro Onaga. They're known for Dragonhead, Doppelganger, Rufoto, Another, and the film Liverleaf. All right, we have music by Tomiki Hasegawa. They're also known for Noriko's Dinner Table, the television series Hell Girl from 2006 and 7, and the film X-Day Hair Extensions. All right, the special effects was done by Nishimura Motion Picture Model Makers Group. This was produced by Seiya Kawamata, uh, Junichi Tanaka, Toshoi Tamida, and Seiji Yoshida. All right, production companies on this are Omega Project, Toho Company, Bigu Bitu, for Peace Company Limited and Fuso. All right, we have distributors Earthrise. They help with the 2002 Japanese theatric release along with TLA releasing, which helped with the video for the United States, which I actually got a copy of. It's mm-hmm. pretty sweet. All right, release dates on this were October 29th, 2001 in Tokyo at the Tokyo International Film Festival. And March 9th, 2002, it was limited but across Japan. Had an estimated budget of about $250,000, and the tagline is, well then, goodbye, everybody. All right. You know what? That's a better tagline than most we run across. Uh, Yes. It fits, and it's appropriate for this film. I'm I'm curious. So going into the cast, you started watching this movie earlier than me this week, and one of the things you said to me was like, oh, yeah, you're going to recognize one of these guys. I recognize two of them, and I'm wondering which one you're talking about. Was it, were you referencing Ryo Ishibashi? Yeah. Or were you referencing, oh, okay. Because I was going to say, of course I recognized him. Yeah. Because it, it feels like not all that long ago that we did audition. However, who stands out to me more because he has a much more <laughs> recognizable countenance is uh, Akaji Maro. Because that's, Kill Bill. yeah, that's Kill Bill. That's what, Boss Oshigawa? I think, yeah, I think you're right. And I was literally listening to the Kill Bill soundtrack Uh, at work two different times this week. That's pretty Not even, like, realizing he was in this movie until this weekend. Well, there you go. So, (laughs) no, I mean, for me, it was more specifically uh, Ryo Ishibashi, who I'm going to lead off 
with our cast, right? Because he plays Detective Toshiharu Korada. And we talked about him way back on episode 121, which seems, we were just talking about this like a long ass time ago. <laughs> but uh, that film was Audition, right? Uh, he's it also was that long ago that yeah, we did Audition? That's what I'm saying. It's like, what? Because we're. That one feels on like a couple months ago. A couple years ago <laughs> at this point. That's wild. Yeah. Kitty, kitty, kitty. Oh, it's so good. All right. He's in the film Moonchild, which is a part of a box set that I have for some of that TLA releasing. Mm. All right. He's also in the film The Grudge Parts 1 and 2, and he's also a part of The Masters of Horror. He was in the Dream Cruise episode. That's season 2, episode 13, for those who are curious. He's also in the film War and the film Ace Attorney. All right. We have Masatoshi Nagasi, plays Detective uh, Shibusawa. All right, they're known for the films Mystery Train, Cold Fever, Electric Dragon, 80,000 Volts. He's also in Mike Yokohama, of course, with no name, and The Hidden Blade. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Masatoshi uh, Nagase, I thought for sure I recognized him from somewhere. And as I went through his filmography, I was like, well, I guess I guess maybe not. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it does seem like somebody we probably had seen several times. But yeah, no, surprisingly not. Every time he was on screen, I was like, oh, I've seen this motherfucker. <laughs> I, I guess I haven't. No. First time for everything, right? <laughs> All right. Akaji Maro plays Detective uh, Morata. Now, we actually talked about this gentleman way back on episode 180 for the film Gemini. He's also in the films Burst City, Postman Blues, Kill Bill, Volume 1 and 2, and Yakuza Weapon. All right. We have Seiya Hagiwara plays the role of Mitsuko. Now, she is in the film Hazard. That's really the only other film of note. All right, we have Yoko Kaman, who plays the role of Kyoko, or, or the bat. Uh, a few films of note from her. She was in the film Dog Star, Love and Treachery, and The Chrysanthemum, and The Guillotine. All right, we have Roli, plays the role of Genesis. All right, a few things of note from them. They are in a film called Saya Zamurai. It's also in the films Too Young to Die and Hit Me Anyone One More Time. All right, we have and is also just like a legitimate yeah. musician and music producer. Absolutely in Japan. right. It, it's funny that you mentioned, or maybe coincidentally mentioned, Phantom of the Paradise. <laughs> <laughs> For real, if Japan does their own version of Phantom of the Paradise, Roly needs to be involved. Roly, Roly. <laughs> That's hilarious. All right, Roly seems perfect for that movie. I mean, kind of made for that role, all right? All right, we have Hideo Sako, plays the role of Detective Hagatani. All right, now we actually talked about this gentleman way back on episode 87 when we talked about Ichi the Killer. And we had Jeff over. That was Test Your Fright Volume 2. The one which nothing came out of. I know, right? We also, uh, well, he's also been in the film Dog Star and Labyrinth of Leg Fetishism. Like, ooh. Right, we have Takashi Nomura, plays the role of the security guard Jiro. A few films I've known from him. He was in the film Black Sun, Gate of Flesh, and the film Occult. All right, we have Tameo Sato. She plays the role of Nurse Yoko Kawaguchi. A few things of note from her, she was in Churiki Sentai Ranger, which is a television series and a movie. All right. She voiced Athena Asamaya in The King of Fighters from 96, also the narrator for Pokemon Pikachu's Rescue Adventure, a bunch of other anime and television series. All right, moving forward, we have Mai Hosho. She plays the role of Nurse Atsuka Sawada. She was in the film Tomi Replay. She was also part of the television series Shumuni from 1998 through 2002 in the film Ryu. 
All right, we have a few other actors and actresses that run on our cast and crew. We have Kimiko Yo. She plays the role of Kiyomi Kurada, which is the wife of Detective Kurada. All right, she was in the film Hiroki the Goblin, which is a Shinyo Sukamoto film. She was also in the film The Ramen Girl, The Departures, Dear Doctor, Ace Attorney, and Parasite Part 1. We have Mika Kikuchi. She plays the role of Sakura Kurada. She was in Battle Royale Part 2 in the television series True Horror Stories. And last but not least, we have Hajime, or So Matsumoto, who plays the role of Toru Korada. And this is really the other thing of note from them. So that uh, rounds out our cast and crew. He gave us a brief setup. we got to give you some warnings. I gave you some brief warnings. I mean, Here's you the know, the name itself kind of implies some shit, you know, you would think. Yeah, so you're going to have to be okay with suicide. First and foremost. Like, it's in the title, but... It happens a lot in this movie. Yes. And blood and gore, way more blood than gore. True. There are there's in some fact, decent gore. There's some decent a gore. Lot, a lot. But I would also say the longest, most drawn out bit of gore is some of the worst gore in the movie. Yeah, you could argue that for sure. <laughs> I mean, I guess there's probably a little bit of language, but it's subtitled anyway. Yeah. So unless you're, you know, a native speaker, then you're probably gonna pick up more on that than us. See a flash of boob. Mm-hmm. That's true. We do. And oh, maybe we should really point out that a lot of this has to do with kids. Absolutely. It does. So you're dealing with mostly, mostly, not all, but mostly teenagers in terms mm-hmm. of like, yeah, kids, like you're saying specifically with the deaths more specifically, I suppose. Also, it's just kind of weird. Yeah. I mean, it's. Japanese, so it's kind of <laughs> that kind of cuts at the territory at this point. It's sounds so no. Yeah, so he's already known. I mean, kind of a little bit of a trivia, but prior to this, he wasn't like hugely known. But this kind of put him on the map, and the things to follow, you'll know if you watch them. I was about to say, I these movies are nothing alike. No. But when you tell me that it's the same director of Prisoners of the Ghostland, it makes a hundred percent sense. Absolutely. You can see it and kind of feel it in his artwork. Even though they're nothing alike. Right. But, I mean, you know, there's there's some things there. There's some threads there. I'd say it's one of those things where, like, how you can usually feel like a Tarantino movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a certain tone. Yeah, a certain feel. But um, In this case, I'd say almost a certain irreverence. But we can get into that in a little absolutely. bit. Absolutely. Honestly, like I said, this is one of those ones where if you're sticking with us after hearing the name of the movie, that's probably the biggest warning there is. So let's just get into it and find out how Suicide Club made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right, here we are. Suicide Club. I keep trying to call it Suicide Circle, even though... You wouldn't be wrong, though. I wouldn't be wrong, but I also didn't know that that was its original title till like yesterday. So it's weird that that's stuck in my head. I don't know why it's stuck in my head, but I keep trying to call it Suicide Circle. Suicide Club. <laughs> it's a club. Let's go join a club. Yeah, no, this is it. Maybe not this club. I can't remember. You have you you had you seen this before? No, I've owned this film for a couple of years. I mean, not like a long time, maybe three or four years tops, but never had a reason to watch it. I mean, outside of just pleasure up to this point. So this was a... Great opportunity to finally watch it. What about Noriko's? No, never seen okay. that. I still haven't watched that one. That one is long as shit. It's like two hours 40. 
fuck, why? No, why? Stop it. Yeah. I'm like, after I saw that, I'm like, yo, I'm not going to sneak that in. I mean, I'm curious about it after watching this. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it could do any of the things it purports to do. You know, like fill in holes. Right. I don't know for sure, but. Because it all takes place around this. We'll get into what this entails in a second, but like. Right. I'm more confused that that movie exists having watched this than I was before I watched this. <laughs> no, if, I know what you're saying, because it's like, oh, that, it opens up a line of questions and curiosities, things like that. It's wild. All right, Suicide Club. Like I said, you you got to it earlier in the week than me. I actually got to it earlier than I usually do for watching it for the, the podcast, though, so I had some time to, to sit there with it a little bit. First, I mean, the too long didn't read fucking... Part of this is I fucking loved this movie. I thought it was great. No, I really do enjoy this film too. And it's not just because it's, you know, Japanese and weird. It actually has a message. And if you pay enough attention to it, it's pretty obvious. But if not, then, you know, sit down. We'll, we'll do our best to explain. I was about to say, before you say any, you almost have to, you don't have to. Right. But in the way that we're going to talk about this, I think it might almost be useful to bring up one of the major themes of this movie before we actually talk about what happens in the movie. Because when you watch what happens in the movie, you don't get any answers. Right, it's super ambiguous. Like, this is a mystery that they don't figure out the mystery. By the end of the movie, it's just as ambiguous to everybody as involved as it was before. Right, 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 right. The audience has a slightly better understanding but anyone who says they know oh, for sure what's going on in this movie no. is fucking lying to you because yeah, the movie I, doesn't give you enough information to know 100% what's going on. I agree because art in general is so subjective and even the writer himself, the director himself, could change his opinion depending on how he's viewing it at certain points in his life or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whether it was during this moment, 10 years, 20, whatever, 30 years from now. So it, you can't say for a certain thing, especially with something that's... I was going to say ambiguous. Like you can say that like there's things art is subjective anyway. Right. Exactly. But, but some art is far more subjective than others. Oh yeah. And when you get into, I wouldn't say necessarily surreal cause it's not really, but this has a penchant on the art house kind of scene and it's already dealing with a taboo subject, if you will, with, with suicide. And then you throw in, like you said, the ambiguity of like, What's causing this, and why is it so effective in this short amount of time with these people? So, I wonder how many of the bigger names, who, I don't even know who these names would be, but, like, the more influential people in horror critiquing, I wonder how many of them have went back to this movie since it came out. Because I would argue that when this movie came out, we didn't actually have the proper vocabulary for one of the things this movie is talking about. And it's the one that I wanted to bring up before we get too far into this movie, which is this movie is kind of about suicide as a meme. That's a good point. And memes weren't as understood in, what is it, 2001? 2001. As they are now. We didn't have the word meme. I don't think. I don't know about culturally like that. I, I can't. I can't recall. 
using memes back then, 2001 specifically. I mean, like that term might have been invented. I've looked into a little bit of the history of where the origin of a meme even comes from. The idea is it's like we have genes that make up, you know, what what creates a person is all these little different bits of information, Absolutely. right? So memes are kind of supposed to be the same thing, but they're the little bits of ideas that come together to form cultural ideas, basically. Yeah. No, I, I'm familiar a little bit with, like, with, uh, I think it's Dawkins who talks about cultural memes as opposed to, like, picture memes that we're mm -hmm. more accustomed to now. But there, there's a little bit of crossover in both, though. Well, and... Like, how it impacts cultural right. things. Society. And, like, and here's the thing. I, I guess I just don't know when the term really started getting used first because... Even the Obey campaign, way back in the day, Obey Giant, Andre the Giant has a posse. That's funny. Is an early experiment of using art to play around with memeing. And like the original idea of the Obey campaign was just like getting out a meme about commercialism that looks like a commercial, but it's not. So, like, the ideas existed, but I don't know how formally we were able to talk about them, especially in 2001. This movie, I kind of rank up with, now I think the other movie's a little bit better, but I rank up with Perfect Blue in kind of being ahead of its time. Yeah, it's one of those, it's not something that we haven't talked about before. Uh, I know we've talked about this with Shinya Tsukamoto when it comes to more like the cultural narrative or the the cultural critique at that time in japan like for instance with um tetsuo it's it, you know it was filmed in the late 80s or 88 89 whatever mm -hmm. it was so it was kind of talking about we've talked about this too with like the industrial movement that happened basically in like the 60s and 70s coming out of world war ii and all that stuff so you're going from like an old japan quote-unquote, to a new Japan that's more technological and more industrial. And so it's almost losing connection with the earth and nature and your surroundings. And this is coming off a little bit of what they call the lost decade mm -hmm. of the 90s because there was a huge recession in Japan. And coincidentally, if you want to call it that, there was also a, a rise in suicide rate because of it. So there was a, a downfall because people were feeling the financial crunch and a lot of the reasons why there was a high suicide rate is because of that. People felt like they were financially unfit or unstable. So there's a little bit of commentary hidden in that too, coming, like I said, out of 2000, 2001 at this point. Kind of mixed with the fact that not on a solely Japanese level, mm -hmm. although this movie specifically deals with an idol group and some J-pop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Quincy but we were just coming out of a giant era, or kind of still in a giant era, of mega pop stardom. Oh, huge, yeah. Big time. Like, in the almost in a worldwide zeitgeist, because of how big some of those different groups were, and feeling the effects of it, and questioning where different ideas get planted into people's minds because just two years before 
at least here in America, once again, sort of sent shockwaves through the artistic community because of some of the accusations that were being thrown around. But two years before, it would have been Columbine. Mm. That's, that's a good point, too. Yeah. Sort of still really fresh in everyone's minds. Yeah, because <laughs> that was, you know, a significant event in uh, our modern history, you know, United States history. And I know that this is a Japanese flick, but once again, it sort of ties into the fact that, like, you have these worldwide, you know, huge selling artists. And at the same time, you have yeah, music being blamed for being able to place these ideas in people's heads. Oh, that is interesting, isn't it? So, I mean, it, there is a dichotomy there, too. But, you know, in the same token, the way this film pulls that off is through, you know, like hidden messages and <laughs> so they're playing with which that those ideas bit. have been around obviously for right it, this isn't a new phenomenon you're absolutely right but it's playing with the idea of that is what i'm getting at you know i'm still not sure what this movie is saying about that you know i have some ideas i'm, I'm with you and there. i think it's all like of I them are ideas, a little bit but that's i think all are. of them are at least a touch valid because mostly because I don't think I'm that big of a dum dum when analyzing right. movies, but like, no, I at the end of the day, I'm like, it still leaves me with questions, and I know with some other movies, that leaves me judging the movie more harshly, but I think in the case of this movie, you're not supposed to have answers. Right. The point is to make you come up with these questions. You know, that's that's a solid point too. It, it's one of those films, like I said, because. And I keep using this word, but the, the ambiguity. And I think there there are some things that you can pick up on. You know, it's it's not like it's too far-fetched, but how much do you want to lean in one direction or another? Right. It's, it's entirely up to the audience. But whatever the cause ultimately is, I do feel like this movie is best understood when you think of the fact that suicide is legit just like in the zeitgeist of this movie. Like, that's kind of what it is. Like, yeah. they're trying to figure out why, and some answers make a lot more sense than others. But even that is kind of thrown into turmoil by some of the revelations at the end. Yeah. Basically, look, this is the, the spoiler <laughs> section. It's almost more of just like a meta commentary until they actually introduce a cult. Yeah, then it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> it changes things. And then you start wondering, well, what's that? Yeah. Especially with the way that the cult's portrayed. Like, it, it who is, is the cult? Right. It's very interesting. What I was going to say is I've listened to two different reviews, commentaries on this. And it's, I'm, I'm going to give them credit because I have them in front of me here. So people are, are curious and want to listen to it. You can go on YouTube. There is one called Cinema Nippon, which they go through like a lot of Japanese mm -hmm. films and you know critique and analyze them etc and then the other one I listened to was a gentleman named Emmer Prevost or Prevost pretty decent too so they analyze it a little bit more on the cultural side like the Japanese cultural side of things and that's where I was like okay if you're reading into that right because this is because another it, movie it gives where it like some different meanings depending on which characters you're reading into and how things are kind of I'm, I'm just going to say like paying dividends because they the kids later on in the film start to question like your connectedness. Are you connected to mm -hmm. yourself? Are you connect? Are you, or are you connected to like things or or people and things like you know what I mean? For 
selfish reasons, I suppose, you know, like your own, like how connected really are you like to yourself? Are you, <laughs> can you handle yourself by yourself? Can you love yourself? Those kind of questions, mm -hmm. you know, this is one of those movies where there wasn't any one thing that particularly stood out to me where I might be missing something, but I did start wondering if parts of this would be easier to understand if I was immersed in Japanese culture and language. Oh, no doubt. It, I mean, I'm kind of curious <laughs> if maybe there are like some double entendres in some of the dessert songs that I'm missing because I don't know Japanese. I mean, the same thing is like, as much as I watch, it's still not the same, you know, cause yeah. it's, it's still second, third hand account at that point. So how much are you really immersed in it when you, when you're an American? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, cause I do feel like there could be another layer of understanding to be had because even though I was just comparing it to worldwide events that were happening, it is grounded within these people are J-pop fans. This yeah. is happening in Japan. Absolutely. This is happening in a, just overall in what feels a very Japanese way as compared to how, I mean, we've seen the American version of this. It's called The Happening, yeah. and it has Mark Wahlberg wondering, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> But, you know, just listening to some of their ideas about this film, and they follow uh, Shion Sono's career a little bit better than I have at this point. So they get a, a better understanding of some of his ideas. And so, so something I learned was before he got into filmmaking, he actually was a poet. And okay. his very first film he ever did was... <laughs> that weirdly makes sense. Yeah, it's a, it was um, him basically reciting his poetry. And then, you know, things from there. Uh, somehow, if I'm not mistaken, I believe he got into working either in porno or like, what do they call those pink, mm, mm -hmm. that, those style of films, you know what I mean? We talked about it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That style of film. So there's some sensuality. It's a little bit more like softcore or something. Basically, yeah. yeah. So, you know, you can sense a little bit of eroticism, but it's not really prevalent, you know? Yeah, not in this movie. No, but. no, no. But there's certain, I mean... I've read about some stuff, of his other movies. Like I, yeah, that definitely rears its head in his career. But exactly. So there's just like, this is an early taste of what you're going to get later on in his film career. So with that being said, what I'm getting at is, it just gives me a better idea of trying to read into films like this that have like, okay, what, yeah, what causes this thing to just spontaneously occur, or is it more of a commentary on how the Japanese are kind of viewing their society, like I said, coming out of this recession, and they're kind of, they feel like they're falling apart, like a society's crumbling. Well, and we get something we, I feel like, is continually brought up in especially this era of Japanese movie for a reason. I think a lot of artists were very purposely commentating on it, yeah. but you do have the rift of young versus old once again in this. Yep, exactly. It's that's something else they commentated on, and it, it's you can see it. It's pretty obvious, and what it means to 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 people. Like I said, there's a certain like apathetic feeling towards life. You know, it's just kind of you can throw it away. It's no big deal. Just gonna let's do this together. But also, just sort of like, what does it mean to throw it away? That's where the right. end the, recontextualizes the, right. it. Right, and, and exactly, it's like it's not just you that is vanity. I mean, there's there's like uh, the spread that it has. 
you know. Now, I will say, <laughs> this is a great movie. I love it. It's not a fucking masterpiece like some no, of these no, others no, that no, we've no. brought up. The closest comparison might be Perfect Blue. Perfect Blue is way better than this oh, movie. Oh, without a doubt. Because I think it, it has more mature thought put into what it's saying. I agree with that, too. This is, I would say, a little bit more raw, you know, in the way it's approaching mm-hmm. it. Well, and the, I keep going back to the way the ending recontextualizes things, but learning that Sono was a poet makes a lot of sense because a lot of those like philosophical questions that the kids are bringing up and stuff, mm-hmm. to be completely honest, feels like try hard college edgy kid poet bullshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because a lot of it has to do like, look, even the, the idea is like, even if you kill yourself, you still have the same relationship to the people around you. And if you, you basically, if you know yourself and you're going into it with eyes open, then nothing really changes. It's something, it's just something different. And it can be a, a way of freeing yourself. And honestly, when you look at it, this movie doesn't ever really demonize the idea of suicide, mm-hmm. because I do think that the ultimate message of this movie is that he's talking about more of like a killing your own ego and self-suicide and moving on to the next portion in your life, yeah, uh, yeah. not dependent on the past or your a station within how you relate to these other people yeah. and are, you know, going on as a self-sufficient person. I think that's a good point. There's a character and I, we really haven't like gotten to the, we haven't described anything about this movie yet, but, but. we're more or less just critiquing on this point. And what I'm getting at is there's a character, um, Mitsuko who the way I interpret it is when you come back to her and she figured out, you know, what was going on with her boyfriend and with his obsession with, this J-pop band. Mm-hmm. It seems like everybody's attached to them or has the cell phone, you know, ringtone or whatever for this band. But there are like a common thread throughout this film with people. And it, but the point being is she was learning about his obsession. He had a connection with them. She started putting together this hidden message in the poster with their fingers and what it meant, suicide, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Right. And she makes the phone call or she gets the phone call. She puts in the pin and she gets, you know, invited to the concert. And we we see what happens, like I said, at the end, where one of the detectives runs into her at the end, where it almost feels like, okay, she's going to commit suicide. But she doesn't. That was not even her intention, which we learn at the end. She's just kind of Then it breaks the away. And then the band disbands. And the last song is like, what was it called? Like, Live Your Life? Yeah, something like, yeah. Live Your Life as you are, whatever. Um like how you, yeah, live your life how you want to. Or right, something like exactly. That. So, so the point I'm going to make with that, my, my long winded ass story, is that I feel like with that character, as opposed to the, all the other characters we come across in this film, she was the one who took control of, like, yeah, I, I am connected with myself. I know who I am. She was self aware. She knew the consequences of these actions and things of that nature. So it was like, okay, she kind of broke that, I guess, that thread, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. or that. The dots, like the interconnectedness, maybe that's what the dots represented to, like our connectedness to each other, even though there might not be like, what do we have in common outside of our little interactions? Right. Yeah, see where I feel like the ending, 
where I get where it's where it's trying to go with like, yeah. it, like, like the still... ultimate meaning behind suicide in this film. But I I feel like it's immature because of how much it tries to have its cake and eat it too. No because doubt. I get that on like a psychological level. But this movie still makes all the suicides in the movie real. Yeah. And so <laughs> yes. the the whole like you still have the same relationship to this person, you still have the same relationship to that person. All that has changed is, you know, you severing your need to be a part of this or whatever. Like I said, some weird form of ego death. Yeah. Doesn't take into account the realities of what happens with when a person dies and how that affects people around them. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about that. And that's, I, I'm wondering what his feelings or sentiments were at that time, you know, about that. Right, because, well, he would have been a fucking young buck at the time, right? Right, right, right Full right. of fucking, brim, you know, vim and brio and ready to take on the world. And you feel like all your, I mean, we were all there at one point. Of course. I would have fucking, I would have made the same sort of crazy fucking exclamations <laughs> as a young college kid or whatever, or, you know, in that time frame. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it makes you wonder, you know, like I said, um, it's like the said, weird the thing where you was. still kind of feel invincible. Even if you've had bad shit happen to you at that point in your life, you still feel real, weirdly invincible. And your emotions almost feel like part of that. Like there's only so bad that this can get. Yeah. And then you start to realize how much the world kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. And, <it's> like, <laughs> and how okay. much shit hurts. Yeah, I mean, it, there there is a point, yeah, where we all go through it in, in different waves and stages and whatnot. But, yeah, we all go through these, like, trials and tribulations, if you want to call them that. You know, like, these events that, that can either, you know, harden us or, or really weaken us, you know, depending on how we come out of them or wh- however we interpret them. You know, that kind mm-hmm. of shit. And, and this film does make that commentary in a bit. Like you said, like, what is the impact of the suicide? What does it leave behind to those people who you are connected to? You know, it doesn't have to be just your family, but your friends, your colleagues, you know, stuff of that nature. Mm-hmm. And that's, like I said, I think it's the case of this movie is trying to have its cake and eat it too. It's trying to say these things about, like I said, a more metaphorical suicide yeah, but yeah. then the movie makes those metaphors uh, real. very real. <laughs> yes, yeah. There's not, yeah. It's not metaphorical, like you were saying. This is it's very real what they're doing, and that's I, what, uh, man. That, there's that's other questions though that I have because it's like it yeah, also feels yeah. like it makes it. It feels like it's asking a question of there's certain things that don't actually matter. Maybe not a question, but like it seems like the movie is saying that certain things, it doesn't necessarily matter where it came from. It's about what people are doing with it. Because I think there's the string of suicides we see in, like, the beginning of the third act, end of the second act, somewhere around that area. Mm-hmm. Those, I don't think, are connected the way the main ones are. Those are people latching on to something that's going on and twisting it. Oh yeah. To what they see. They're exaggerating it. They're kind of using it as an excuse to not have to confront what's actually making them want to feel that way. Yeah. No, that's a solid point. I kind of feel the same way in that regard. It's like, yeah, it's not a direct correlation. Like only certain suicides in this movie are 
actually caused by whatever's causing this, I yeah. guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, like you said, later on in the film, with kind of the isolated suicides, they're a result of what they're experiencing in this. Yeah, like I said, the, the guys on stage who were talking about whatever the fuck they're talking about, guy ends it. Because it, it had right. directly to do with what the hell was going on in that moment. It seems like that guy's trying to latch on to more fame. They're these fucking stand-up comedians and not a giant club. Right. But but this is in the air and I you know, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to to make it to the next level. Yeah. So that's why he does it. You have in that same little sequence is you have the housewives doing it yes. out of what seems to be almost a religious fervor. Yeah. And sort of twisting it to them cleansing themselves of the sins, sins of their life. Shit. Yeah, exactly. In that same sequence, you have the gal that puts her head in the oven where it's, we don't know the story, but it's told extru- some story of loss is being told right there. And she's not ending it because of whatever else is in the air. She just has the idea of whatever else right. is in the air. She's ending it because of whatever she's emotionally going through with her loss and what she's looking at in her her treasure box. Exactly, and that triggers her to go through with whatever. And same with, like, the guy sitting there with a food cart and no customers yeah. who already looks depressed as fuck the first time you see him. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, so here's where we get into the tying theme, is, like, all the ones that seem to be connected to whatever the original causing force is seem to be connected to hearing that fucking song by dessert. Yes. That's that they are really the common denominator in all of this is that song or that band at least. And that band had nothing to do with that entire sequence. No, 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 no. It's like reports on the radio of what's going on that tie into that sequence. Yeah. It's a it's some of it's just coincidental. And I think that whole idea is then expanded and crystallized into the Genesis character, who obviously has nothing to do (laughs) with the original Genesis of the Suicide Clubs. He's a figure who is glomming on and using it to push his own ends. That's like literally glamorizing it for their own fame. Like, it sounds weird, but we've kind of seen it a couple times in this movie, how to do it, quote unquote, properly. And everything about <laughs> what him and his crew are doing is not what this movie's about. No, it's and yeah, not what opposite. not what all these kids and shit have been a part of. He's just taking the trappings of it to further their own ends, um, which. I kind of think is why they get a music video sequence. If that makes sense. Yeah. Cause like the rest of this has been tied back to dessert. And so if this is just a person who's trying to use this thing in the zeitgeist, claim it as their original and push it for their own ends, it should also be through the form of music. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a common denominator amongst this too. Once mm-hmm. again. Yeah. I put it, yeah, I put it right into the the mainstream. God, we're jumping all around this bitch, but I mean, it's still relevant to what this film's mm-hmm. about. Um, it's like we're not going step by step through it. Fuck no. However, going step by step through it, yeah, partially just because my 
train of thought is interrupted, and I think there's other things that this movie's probably saying, but I'll get back to them whenever we get to them. Not enough people talk about how much of a dark comedy this is, because this movie's fucking funny as shit. Well, it has its moments, without a doubt. And it, almost some of the most masterful <laughs> dark comedy horror I've seen. The first mass suicide, I'm sure, is shocking to a lot of people. At this point, it's kind of just what I expect from the Japanese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're not lying. I was I was so caught up in that first sequence of like looking for the technical aspects and it actually pulled me out of the scene a little bit because <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're doing most of that gorilla. Oh, yeah, I would imagine so. I mean, that was kind of a technique they used still. Yeah. Up until them starting to chant one, two, three, at which point they're obviously in a lockdown location because the station changes completely. There's not another platform behind them. There's a staircase and a wall leading down because they are nowhere close to where they were the f when they first started that sequence. Well, I would say there's a reason why they used some of the stock footage of the subway trains. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's pretty obvious, or it should be. I was like, where did that fucking wall come from? He's like, and oh, then you'd yeah. get it, and then it, you know, cut to a different shot that was taken from some of the the gorilla shit, and you're like, well, that wall just disappeared. It's like, oh. That makes sense. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, come on. Here's the thing. It, like, if you make it through the first eight minutes of this movie easy, you can make it through the rest of this movie. If that first mass suicide has you on edge, you shouldn't watch the rest of this movie. Yeah. There, there's going to be some moments sprinkled in that are like, yeah. But, um, yeah, I would agree. If you can get past the first... 10 minutes yeah you're 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 gonna be okay all the dessert songs something about the wording of them sounds off right like they're weirdly slightly menacing yes and slightly dark like the whole mail me the like or i'll die yes i think that was intentional <laughs> the more you watch this film it's like yeah i was there's a meaning behind that or oh, i thought I wrote messages. it i thought i wrote it down but there's another one where i was like that that feels weird <laughs> The nurse's sequence, I feel like, was way too long. This movie isn't that long anyway, like but just yeah, under an hour was... 40, just a touch under an hour 40. But you can make that, you can cut most of that nurse's sequence and make it just a touch over an hour 30 and have exactly. a tighter flick that still makes the same amount of sense. Right. And nothing would have been lost, I don't think, in terms of like what this film's trying to say, if you cut that out. It kind of pissed me off because my second time through and like I'm sitting there trying to take notes and I get to that <laughs> sequence and I start zoning out and I'm yeah. like, I must have missed something. Like there's so much going on in this movie. I must have missed something and fucking re rewound it and watch that movie like or that clip like two and a half times. Yeah. Only for it to just be like, no, this is just a stupid, slow moving clip. That's really all it is. Just a little time filler. It feels like. It, and why? Like this movie still gets to an hour 40. Yeah, and it still, you know, hits the message at home or whatever it's trying to portray, you know? That's one of those ones where it's just like an experienced filmmaker. Yeah. I feel yeah. like. And that's okay. And it's okay. But yeah, it, was it necessary? Not really. Maybe it was just more like, oh, these are nurses, so now it's not just school kids. It's like working class women mm -hmm. who are doing this as well. I mean, when I'm trying to think of it as suicide as a meme, and then I think about the fact that like, 
there's fucking TikTok videos of nurses out there in between their fucking rounds doing goddamn TikTok dances. Like, it still fits. No, it does. Okay, so the kids on top of the school. We've seen a lot more fucked up things watching these movies over the course of doing this podcast for the, all these years that we've been doing it. The first time watching that scene kind of fucked me up a lot more than a lot of other movies. And I think this is one of the ones where uh, Sono shows just how masterfully they blend the dark comedy and horror in this movie. Because that scene goes from really obvious dark comedy with the kids fucking around. And then it starts to heighten the tension because then they take it to the edge. But it's still being played very, like, absurd and a little bit big. And, like, these kids are still kind of having fun. But the tension's up because now there's so many of them. And then you have that break from dark comedy into reality when the, the kid stops and goes, wait, are you guys for real? Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait, are they for real? And then it shatters into tragic horror. Not when the kids jump, but when they jump and you see there's three that didn't. Yes. I think that if all of them would have jumped the first time, that scene lands a lot differently. Oh, yeah. 100%. But it it pulls so hard back into horror when you suddenly have to, like, put yourself in the shoes of one of those kids. And you just, you were sitting there having a fucking lark, and then all your friends jumped. I know, that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, and the way that it portrays itself, too, right after that, I would say you would think that they would have this moment of like, oh no, this is for real. But then they actually go through it themselves. Well, that's the thing. It it gets even it's more like, tragic oh. when you get the, the girl being like, no, we got to do it. And look, Suicide Club is a misnomer for this movie because at least one of them's a fucking murder. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Homeboy didn't want to do that. Homeboy wasn't jumping. Uh-uh. But then once again, masterfully turns this tragic horror sequence that it turned into back into part of the mystery when you have the one girl that's left and instead of going like survivor's guilt being the reason she jumped or absurd dark comedy being the reason she jumps she goes into back into the mystery portion and just being very straight-faced yeah like i don't know this is just this is what's going on right now. Yeah, she she basically said that they're the charter members of the Suicide Club, and then she jumps to her death. <laughs> like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> and that's how that whole Suicide Club kind of social meme started. Mm-hmm. At least the term. This scene is top-notch for me. Like I said, I think it, it hits everything that this movie does as a whole, mm-hmm. just in that one scene beautifully. The first time through, it did confuse me a bit because you have, at least the girls are talking about what happened to the other students on the platform. And they're like, they can, they're talking about how they couldn't go through it and all this other stuff. And then the boy comes over and he's like, hey, we're going to commit suicide. And everybody's on board right after. Like, you literally just talked about how this was crazy, or, you know, how bizarre all this shit is. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. I'm like, what is going on? What is causing this? That was the mystery mm-hmm. to me at first. It was like, what is causing this? It, you know, and of course, the more you watch, the more you see kind of what 
Sono is trying to say, I suppose. You know, if you think about this movie of instead of committing suicide, they're just convincing all their friend to do the latest TikTok dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it like works said, the same. It is definitely a social cultural and meme. And I feel just as bad watching it. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but I mean, that, that's kind of what the message is, too, because when you said that you could kind of compare it a little bit, or at least if you're going to do a double billing where Perfect Blue would be a good companion piece. And I feel the same way because it is making the commentary using the Internet as like avatars and a way of spreading these social cultural memes that stick. And you're like, why is this happening? It's like, well, have you seen what the latest fad is? Mm -hmm. What's the latest pop song, this generic shit that they're pumping out? And honestly, what one of the things I also really appreciate about this movie is that it doesn't end up placing sole blame on anything no it's just it's showing that it's a product of its time right now you know mm -hmm. this is what it's happening in the moment they're going maybe it's the internet right if nothing else something's being tracked on the internet but that makes sense because that's where people are going to do shit like that i mean it has a widespread maybe it's dessert yes it does pose those different things like but then how precisely that's a good point that's a good point because i think that's a Another thing of like, hey, this is, these are easy cop-outs for why people are doing these things. And yeah, there might be, you know, little subliminal messages people can look into, but that still doesn't quite answer the reasons why people are doing the things they're doing. Because that's like, that's not really, a, I mean, you can use that as an excuse, but that's, is that really the reason why you're doing what you're doing? See, and here's the other thing where I think the movie... I think what makes it a little bit hard is because when you make the cult real in this movie, because mm -hmm. we run into the, you know. Yeah, we do. We see all this. We see the, the fucking wood shaver and how they're getting the strips of skin and all this. We know that, you know, strings are being pulled somewhere. Right. How and what strings? We don't know. Still don't know. But I almost even wonder <laughs> if that is Sono taking a shot at conspiracy theorists. I could see that. Being like, look, I, I gave you... There's a skin in the game, maybe. Well, it's almost like saying, like, cool. Like, if the Illuminati actually exists, then based on all of the evidence that you're pulling together for it, they're a bunch of fucking petulant children. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what it's saying at the end, too, because that's who you're answering to, basically. <laughs> or they're saying that it's no better than the unformed thoughts of a child. Yeah. Yeah, it's very like irrational. this. This isn't this evil controlling force. Yeah, it's a very. It's like it's controlling, right? But it's very adolescent or childlike mm -hmm. nature. And I'm wondering if that's also part of. I could see the, a little bit of that critique, but because oh, why else would you use children there at the end? Unless you're like, especially because I don't feel like they're likening the it to the other reason to use children is to bring up the idea of innocence. Right, right, and that makes sense, but... Or even, uh, like, listening to your inner child. But I don't feel like either of those things resonate as much with what this movie is doing. I feel... I, I agree with <clears> that, too. However, we do also know, as much as this ties into music, once again, the quote-unquote legitimate suicides in this movie all seem to be linked back to dessert. Who decides what's popular? In music. It's like right. it's like nine to seventeen year olds. The most popular things in music are always decided by that demographic. 
That's a good point. Yeah, because they're the ones who are kind of shaping the now in terms of what's hip, what's, you know, what's socially relevant in terms of, and especially now with, with the advent of technology, like you were saying with TikTok or Instagram or any of that stuff, right? You don't mm-hmm. have to name them all, but we all know how fast it spreads. Like, just thinking about the language itself, how different it, it changes with words and their meanings and just within a generation how much that that stuff changes it's like you have to learn all these new lingo and i think we okay it's funny so we brought up phantom of the paradise because of how well Rolly would fit in uh which was a giant critique of the music industry and i think a lot i think a lot of people truly believe that when it comes to like the super super big pop artists that it's a lot of like industry plants and buying out certain shit and that helps but the biggest hits get there because of both it's both the business side lines up with that musical act already resonating with something that's there and i feel like this movie gets that more than a lot of other critiques where it's saying cool like we might be controlling but we're controlling and it we're also part of the demographic that we're su- that we're supposed to be controlling. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Where it's kind of feeding in on itself rather than just being like this evil cabal trying to just make all your money. It's like, no, it's this random fucking group of kids. Yeah. And yeah, it's interesting, man. That are spouting edgelord philosophist nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. It's complicated. Because once again, I also don't think that anything I've said is the definitive answer for this no, movie. No, neither do I as far as like any of my critiques because it's it's one <clears> of those <throat> things. Like this film is, you know, at this point, what, 22 years old or going on it, right? So it, there's people who have already had their eyeballs on it and have a better idea behind some of the cultural meanings and, you know, things of that nature. They have a better grasp than, than probably both of us, to, you know. But... Besides that, you can still read into certain things. It's like some some things are pretty obvious, you know. But I, I still enjoy the fact that with filmmakers like him, like he and uh, Sukamoto and, and Takashi Miike, how they still will sprinkle in like social commentary because mm-hmm. it, it means something to them too because it's still a part of their culture, you know. And they've seen Japan at different time periods and what's coming in and out of it. It's kind of interesting, mm-hmm. you know, because you can't help but throw some of your critiques on, on what your works are. I don't think, yeah, the social commentary thing, like I said, there is a definite young versus old in this that we see in a lot of social commentary from Japan from this time period. You can't help but notice it. Can't help but notice it. I think, I think it is the reason I I think it plays into why the cops are so awkward about trying to figure out who has tattoos or not, which was so fucking comedic, I think. But yeah, um, how insulated they are from kind of the rest of what's going on. It's almost like they're seeing it secondhand rather than trying to be in it themselves. Absolutely. And I think it was especially significant that the main detective, uh, Corona. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Ryo Ishibashi. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Him and his family partake safely of the song Mail Me earlier in the beginning. 
as part of family dinner where he's connecting with them. But maybe, maybe what's important is the fact that he's sitting there connecting with his family. Maybe what's more important is the fact that his interactions was what was kind of interrupting them fully taking in the song, even though the son was even like singing along at one point and shit. Because I think it's significant that when his family commits suicide is on a night where he stayed at work too late to make it back for family dinner. Absolutely. I think that is a solid point, especially with that character. Yes. Because it does come back in on him about his, who are you doing this for? You know, were you doing it for yourself? Were you doing it for your family? What was, yeah, you lost a connection there. And then this thing influenced your family and bad things came out of it. Even though he was warned, you know, it was a, maybe a, a mixed message. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? So who knows? But I think that's significant in this film. Yeah, that that doesn't feel like an accident that it happens on the night when he gets home that late. No. When we've seen him at a family dinner earlier in the movie. Twice at a, earlier in the movie or just once? Maybe uh, twice. I want to say at least once that I can think of. Possibly twice, but at least once, for sure. Which, uh, of course, plays into the social commentary. Uh, breakdown of family units yeah. and stuff like that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, think- once again, with... <clears throat> It seems like it's saying one thing about the breakdown of family units, but then when you get to the end of this movie and how it reframes what is maybe being meant by people committing suicide. Yeah. That scene can be interpreted more of his family kind of going no contact because of the fact he's been a shitty dad is getting caught up in his fucking work. Yeah, it's not there. <clears throat> I mean, it makes me wonder too, because later on we see like the, the reverse of that is a mother chopping into her own hand and shit. What other movie have we seen that in? We've seen that. Was that, that was the one thing that fucking bugged me. Okay, two things bugged me in that scene is that at a certain point, those hands don't look real anymore. Well, yeah, of course not. <laughs> but that's where I said, where I was mentioning earlier during our thing, like there is blood and gore, but the most extended gore in this movie at a certain point just doesn't look good. I was trying to think, did we see that in three extremes... Or ABCs of Death, but I don't think it was. I don't think it was. Three Extremes sounds a little bit closer. Although, honestly, I thought it was in something American that we saw. but It very well could have been, because now I'm trying to think. But I know this isn't the first time we've seen the sort of weird, oh, just yeah. you continue chopping your hand. Exactly. Yeah, that, that kind of makes me, what the fuck was it? It's going to drive me nuts. <laughs> Yeah, it bugs me. But we have I, seen it, but we have seen yeah, it. I, it bugged me because I know that we've seen it before, and I just, I still can't think of where. Uh, listeners, hit us up. I know, There's right? probably multiple movies. Like, it's it's a very simple thing to Yeah, because to it's like, it just keeps chopping. Yeah. Mom's so silly. Yeah. No, Mom's funny. <laughs> oh, I do remember the other thing. When we were talking about that whole sequence of the selfish suicides, the personal suicides that are influenced but not caused by. Right. We also forgot they're mixed into that sequence is the people not actually committing suicide, but with the signs on the street. Yes. Which is interesting too. Yes. Which is kind of like, it reminded me of Eli Roth and uh, Green Inferno and his commenting on like performative wokeness. Versus, like, actually doing the work. Yeah. 
And as this, you know, it plays into that same idea that some of these people are using this idea that's already out there, but they're twisting it for their own ends. Like I said, it's more performative, almost um, virtue signaling, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. Like those, once again, people not even doing what's happening in this movie and just holding up the signs felt like it was, that was kind of the commentary being made. Like not all the suicides in this movie are directly from the force that was originally caused. Absolutely. I agree with that. Which doesn't help make this movie any simpler. It, it doesn't. And like I said, hey, I think that's okay. I don't think a lot of people have thought about the fact that I don't think that all of the suicides in this movie aren't caused from the same place. I, I would hope they don't think they're all like connected in that sense. I think it's just more or less <clears throat> people's sentiments and feelings. Like they don't always have to be connected. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's not a direct correlation one or the other. It's just so it's just coincidental. It could just be what people are going through for whatever reasons. You know unfortunate but you know that's that's a part of at least in this this case the japanese uh, culture at that time when the cops are being awkward down in the train station and that guy that i could have swore i'd seen in something else before until i looked at his filmography and realized i never had when he stops those girls do you think he actually stopped them if they weren't going to be committing suicide. There was also no reason for them to be pushing on him at that point. Yeah, I know. That's a good point, too, because it was like, did, yeah, did he really, or were they just like, what are you doing? But he was like right up at the very edge and they were still pushing him, which is where I get the question. And I'm wondering if that's just another like immature filmmaker didn't quite realizing what the blocking of that scene was indicating. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a solid point. That was a solid point. Is, you know, is he really being a hero or is he just being uh, <clears throat> an old weird guy? <laughs> like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a solid point. And once again, with the metaphor that's being made about suicides, would stopping them in that part a good scene? Is it supposed to be a moment of character growth when we see him not stop her at the end, even though, as we saw, she was only getting on the train? But we don't know what happened when she got off the train either. Exactly, because the film concludes right there, at least with those characters. And then we see, you know, what we mentioned earlier, the disbandment of the band. But they still have one last song. That they still have one last song. <laughs> um, I will mention that last song weirdly kind of ties back into the cult aspect because they specifically mention, like, pushing the keys that, like, influence millions of people or something. Yeah, so um, maybe it's just a fad that was happening at that time. But I also, I wasn't paying enough attention to the amount of dots on the computer screen. Yeah. But up to that point in the movie, the computer screen never seemed to be false. And I think her dot might have been added. Uh, Yeah, I don't know if I paid much attention to that or not. In which case, she might still be killing herself as soon as she gets off at the next platform. It's a a solid point. We don't know. We don't sure. know. I mean, there's a sequel, but mm-hmm. you also mentioned it's a prequel and an interquel, cool, <laughs> <laughs> somewhere in between. So I can say this, just reading, and anybody can look this up. This isn't like esoteric knowledge. He had plans for a trilogy right, with both Noriko and Suicide Club, but he never got to completed so isn't there like a novel that kind of marries the two together so it says that he did write or like came up with a yeah a manga or whatnot another story 
Well, I know that the there is a manga based on this, but it's different. Yeah. He, he, he yeah, told yeah. the mangaka basically like take this original idea, but then like tell your own story with it. And so I believe in the manga, it's that first mass suicide happens with like the 54 girls or whatever. And you find out that one survived mm. and like their best friend is then like trying to investigate why so that they can stop her from doing it again. Gotcha. That's interesting. I do know <laughs> that in Asian culture, and, and I think more specifically right now with J- Japanese and, and Korean, they like a good mystery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love a good mystery. <laughs> I'm so curious about what Noriko's dinner table could be. Yeah. But there's a part of me that doesn't want to touch it because I, I don't want to. Some of these questions I almost feel like I don't want to answer. Yeah, I'm okay like with I, that. I, I, like keep, I, I keep liking to ask the questions about them, but I also don't know for sure whether they're answered in that movie or not. Like I said, it would be interesting to sit down and watch it at some point, but I'm not quite that invested <laughs> in it. I have seen still need to see that people say that it's the better of the two. Huh. Because okay. it feels more fleshed out compared to this, which you can tell I, is kind of early in the career. I believe they still use the female character, mm. you know, at the end. They mm-hmm. use her in the film. I don't know if it's still the same actress, but at least the character, I do know they use that. Yeah, I'm super curious, but I don't I don't know if it's the type of curiosity that will <laughs> actually make me watch it anytime soon. I'm kind of in the same boat. I think there's, there's probably better films that you can deal with this subject matter. We've already yeah. talked about it. This was still a, a revelation. No, it's, I, I was not expecting what we got from this. Honestly, I wasn't either. Yeah, you know, just my initial impression without even watching a preview or anything was just like Suicide Club. I'm thinking it's probably going to be akin to uh, Battle Royale in that respect. Yeah, so I think I, I was thinking along those lines. Mm-hmm. I was thinking somewhere. Nothing like this. No. Like I said, the, that's the closest thing. thing I can compare this to is probably Perfect Blue. Yeah, that and not on the perverse scale, but maybe a little bit of visitor. Yeah, visitor Q and and uh, yeah, Perfect Blue would be my my two I could compare it to maybe. And it's a movie that manages even with its subject matter and how explicit it technically is at times to be. It's more transgressive than it is actually extreme. Agreed. I agree with that. Uh, but in kind of a fun way transgressiveness is fun it makes you question things I, i'm down with it yeah what's what's neat we talked about this before but there's a name for it and we talked about a gentleman he went by like uh was it yeah iragawa rampo was like supposed to be oh, yeah, edgar yeah. Allan poe whatever uh so no it's no coincidence that chian sono or sono was uh inspired by that gentleman right and at a certain time in japan there was a movement called Iroguru Nonsensu, which means erotic, grotesque, and nonsensical, mm-hmm. which was like an art movement, which deals with the transgressive movement in Japan. So, yeah, um, makes sense that he found himself amongst those filmmakers and people who were, you know, making these critiques or at least bringing up subject matter within a culture that this kind of subject, it was, they kind of consider it like a ghost of Japan. It's like, it's something that people are aware of, but they don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's, it's like this, this hidden secret, but here it is. And they're bringing it out. And like I said, a more progressive or maybe transgressive manner, you know, I feel it is also weirdly inherently progressive 
for the movie to even talk about it this openly. Oh, without a doubt, man. And like I said, it'd be and the one fact thing. that uh, copycat suicides is a thing. Without, yeah, I mean, it, it's it happens, unfortunately, but it it's part of it's a part of what happens. Um, yeah, and you're right for it to come out in 2001, right on the cusp of like you know the big internet boom. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still in the early phases. It's interesting that you can make a, a commentary that early and, and kind of have a vision of how this stuff can spread through that these viral memes or not spread yeah it depends yeah it really does depend it could be just a fad just a brief moment in time or the fact that it's being mentioned is just a byproduct of the fact that it's happening mm-hmm. yeah and it's just as simple as that mm-hmm. yeah it's just but still interesting nonetheless very much so i think i would recommend it for people who are already into like some of the art house some films that explore subject matter along these lines. That gives you something to chew on a little bit. Maybe not necessarily give you a direct answer, but at least makes you use your imagination. And if you like to have you know, open discussions with friends about these kind of things, it's, it's a fun one. But, Agreed. Uh, but, I mean, there are better examples, but this is not a bad one of it. Not at all. Just because there's better examples doesn't make this. This is top right, tier. Right, right, And that's what, yeah, exactly. It's like I'm not knocking it because of it. I'm just saying, yeah, no, it, this is a good one for sure. Yeah. yeah. Just depends on your taste, I suppose. Yeah, I I mean, I spent fucking 10 minutes or whatever stumbling <laughs> over where I felt like it fell short at the end. Yeah. But not, yeah. not in execution. No. I, I just in depth of content. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, there's a lot that you want, a lot to think about. And it, it's one of those, I think you could... Uh, you could chew on for a little bit if you want to watch it multiple times. And there's nothing wrong with that. Do I? Not necessarily, but... Well, and here's okay. the thing. I felt like... For as much of there is a mystery at the heart of this, it's not the kind of mystery that necessarily benefits from an extra rewatch. Because you don't nece- you don't really find more clues. No. There's no, not, no, 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 no. You don't. <laughs> and at best, you just pick up more of it so that you can think about it more and still ask all of the same fucking questions right. just with greater context. And that's about that. I, I think at least. Cause it was as much of part as parts of this fight, like I said, that them jumping off the, the roof in the school kind of fucked me up when I was watching it. And I might've just been the right level stoned too. <laughs> like that happens <laughs> yeah, too. Okay, man. Yeah, no, you're right. But I was just like the, it, it turned and I felt like not right watching it for a second when it makes that moment where it's just, yeah. it's suddenly real. I agree with you. It would have had a different impact. It had all of those kids jumped at the same time, as opposed to just a few were left behind, like the three that were left behind, even though they still went through with it, it, it hits you different. Mm-hmm. It hit me different too. That first time through like, Oh shit, what the fuck? But that's the thing. Second time through this movie, man, I was yeah. having a hard time. Yeah, there, I mean, there's some moments where it's just like, ah, eh, it's kind of a little bit of a... I took more notes than I do burn. for most movies. Yeah, mine was just mostly just trying to keep up with the dates and what the fuck was going on during those time periods. Yeah, and it still, for me, ended up being like, I was kind of second time through, I'm like, well, I know what happens. Yeah, Well, yeah. well I know what happens. <laughs> and that's okay, that's okay. The stylized portions are fun, but it's not visually interesting enough, like something... Like, there's a ton of movies I've seen a ton of times, like, and I don't just write off, oh, well, I know what happens. Yeah, yeah. It's because there's something else where I'm, like, I'm getting out of it, um, whether it be 
laughing because of the fucking comedy or there's some sort yeah. of crazy awesome visuals or action whereas this movie when it's not the weird stylized sequences is kind of just the ring oh, yeah i, I... I know what you're saying. It, there's, there's gotta be. It's a little bit that. weirder than that. The ring feels like too mainstream of an example, right. and there's but, enough but there's of this still... movie that's like done gorilla and stuff that feels yeah. indie. But, but, but for I, I know what you're saying though. As far as like, there's not much for me too that's like that really grabs my attention that pulls me back in. Like, oh, I can't wait for this moment to happen because of whatever reason. And you know when those moments are happening, right? And that's okay. But, like, there's all sorts of interesting visuals during uh, Rolly's song. Yes, there is. And that's... You can chew on that for a bit, because I'm like, man, this movie is fucking wild right now. Yeah. And, like, that first jump. Like, honestly, even though it suddenly cuts to a completely different station with yeah, a completely controlled <laughs> crowd, like, it's absurd and interesting to watch, like, these girls just count one, two, three and, and jump off jump. a fucking platform. Yeah, because that's like it's horrific in nature, and the way they do it is like that is such in contrast to usually the reality of the situation. But the rest of the movie is cops running around. Yeah, like I said, it turns into a mystery because they're trying to find meaning behind it, and you get all these little subtle things, but they never really add up to anything. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of dead ends in a sense, or circles, or whatever. Uh, we haven't decided next week, have we? Oh wait, is Are next we... week? Is next week our uh, I think it our is. Patreon only? I th- yes, I think this one closes out our, our run of quote-unquote extreme films. I think you're right, second, yeah. yeah. Uh, even though Ferox was the biggest letdown of all of them. Yeah, this is because prior to that, we did, <laughs> we did Terrifier too. That was right. Oh, yeah, it was just the holidays and I hit my head. Or I didn't hit my head, but I fucking hit my brain yeah. against the insides of my head. Ugh. So Yeah, it sucks, dude. So this... Uh, this block was extended a little bit. I think you're right. So what's our next Patreon? So our next Patreon, if I'm not mistaken, has to do with a director we talked about a lot of times, uh, Mr. Craven. He did a little film way back in the day called The Hills Have Eyes. Ooh. So uh, that's the OG one. OG Hills Have Eyes. That's going to be fun to rewatch. And then we'll have to figure out what's coming after that. Yeah, so then we'll run into another three-block window, and then, yeah, you're right, we'll be figuring out some fun shit. Uh, so once again, patreon.com slash fried squirms. Go get signed up so you can listen to those Patreon-only episodes where we've been yeah, going yeah, back through. Once every four weeks, we go back through the episodes and rewatch the movies from the beginning when we started this pod wow. and didn't know what the fuck <laughs> we were doing. You might argue we still don't know what the fuck we're doing. <laughs> well, you I might... think we've gotten better. I mean, if you I think we've me, gotten better. If you ask me, I don't think we could have. I think we would have been a lot more dumbfounded about this movie had this been one of our first ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we would have been probably stumbling over our ideas. Although we did tackle Visitor Q our second. Yeah, I mean, it's not like we're dummies. We're not. We're not complete dummies. <laughs> But sometimes it's it's nice to have a little bit more experience with films of this nature before you start tackling them. Absolutely. And trying to wax poetic on them. Hills Have Eyes. Dude. And then we'll figure it out after that. What's the next one after Hills Have Eyes? Let's see. Hills Have Eyes. Is that number 12? Is that 12? Does that mean that, that we're Martyr? going into Martyrs after Hills Have Eyes? I so. I love that that's the one we remember 
every time. I mean, is it's that 13. number thirteen is mart- <laughs> martyrs? <laughs> How can you not? Yeah, I mean, if it's a perfect number for it. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna look this up just to be sure. But if I'm almost certain, yeah, if uh, has eyes is twelve, then the hills have eyes is number twelve. So after that, will be martyrs. Followed by... Is it repossessed? It is repossessed. <laughs> I knew it was weird in somewhere in between there. And then we go on our... Slasher run. That's going to be fun to revisit, too. Some good ones. With an there. interlude of Savage Land. Yeah. Where dude. we're going to finally talk about the movie uh, in all of its spoiler goodness. We avoided so spoilers fun. first time through. Gosh, and that was... That's gone on six years ago. Mm-hmm. That's fucking nuts. So we finally get to actually talk about that movie, but that's uh, a few months out at this point. Yeah. We're going to go to Hills Have Eyes first. For this time, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Out. Hi, everybody. Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, We highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, the easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Uh, you can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ads. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace. <laughs>